Welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who says hubba bubba to the siren of the Strategic Scientific Reserve, it's Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Hey, Matt, you can't just walk into a man's home and steal his butler. Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek for episode 210, the season two and possible series finale. More on that in a bit. Hollywood ending is brought to you by Howard Stark's $64 mustard. You can cut it, you can cultivate it, but you're just not going to want to put that condiment down. News of the In this segment, we run down the top stories of the episode and give you the latest and the greatest and the need to know. Pete, where shall we begin? Should we begin this time or in the past? 60 seconds ago, Jack Thompson uh, making Samberly fix it. Uh, gun waving in his face. Samberly, of course, coward that he is, fixes it. Peggy draws down on Jack. Um Tension abounds, and uh, all of it, Matt, suddenly leads to a situation where they're all on their keisters, but Jack had nothing to do with it. Indeed, Pete. It's because Jason just exploded. We know that. They don't quite. And uh, they enter the building, and Pete, they find bits of zero matter on the floor. Jason is there, too, stating that he has expelled his black matter. Certainly some fodder for metaphor in a later segment. No sign of Vernon Masters. Um, Jason is uh, is weak here. The zero matter kind of uh, coalesces in a corner of the room under uh, appropriately or unappropriately, inappropriately, a uh, Manfredi uh, sign. It's Whitney. Uh, everything is right where it belongs, she says. And uh, they can't even bother with bullets. They won't stop her, Peggy tells them. Uh, outside, they're looking for Samberly with the car. That is indeed the $64 question as they attempt to run from Whitney, who knows where they will go, apparently through the influence of the zero matter. A car suddenly, comedically, Matt, hits her. It's driven by Edwin Jarvis with Howard Stark in it as well who points out that he just hit a woman, a, a two-time Oscar nominee at that. They get away, but Whitney is up as we end our first act. Certainly a, a, a surprising infusion of comedy there, a great way to reintroduce Stark, who, uh, of course, has come and gone in the story as, uh, as the guest star but not cast member Dominic Cooper uh, appears want to do. And uh, as you say, Pete, with that, we're off to the races. Act two begins with Agent Sousa putting Agent Harper in the clink back at the SSRLA. Um, Jason Wilkes explains the influence that the Zero Matter had on him uh, after opening the rift. It was freezing. It was a type of cold that kills. Dark beyond 
dark, Matt describes it like a disease, like cancer. It's consumed everything on the other side, and now it was looking for a foothold over here. Indeed, Pete. The, the, the first time it's been contextualized almost as an alien infection of sorts, this, of course, setting off the, the Marvel Comics uh, bells and certainly uh, discussion for later on as to what sort of ooey-gooey uh, black alien infection symbiote this might be, but uh, we don't linger here. Uh, instead, uh, there's some steady help from Stark reassuring Wilkes. Jason has nothing to worry about. That Peggy's life was almost, uh, you know, was almost lost at the hands of Wilkes. Peggy's life is just always in danger. <laughs> um, checking out Wilkes, they describe him as anemic, but now free of the zero matter here. Meanwhile, Whitney is working on some sort of collage, Matt. She is, Pete. She's showing with these drawings that she has a beautiful mind. It's a Fargo conspiracy <laughs> corkboard type thing. And just Pete, amidst all the crazy, because this, of course, is, is you know TV and film language for the crazy who comes in. Hey, it's a Joe Manfredi. Yes, Ken Marino here. Progressively better and more to do. Um, throughout this series. Hello, Angel Face. The wall's coming along. Uh, she says she needs more paper here. He's trying to get her uh, distracted, something to eat. But uh, she explains that she's uh, attempting to open another door back to the zero matter. Don't touch me while I'm working. Indeed, Pete. And uh, I would disagree slightly that... that um... The actor has gotten better. I think that the material he's given has gotten better. Um, and here are these shades from Joe Manfredi of, of concern. He's finally gotten the doll he always wanted. But now it's this case of, of uh, I don't want to say quite damaged goods, but he's concerned for, for, for how far she's gone and, and uh, deeply worried for her. Uh, and who do you talk to, Matt, when you have such a conscience... Uh, crushing question of love, but you Nona. Yeah, you, you sit down, you talk to Nona. In Pete, sh a scene that shows Man Freddy is not just a man of industry, uh, the waste management business, not just a, a, a romantic, a lover, but also by Pete, bilingual. Uh, Nona speaking in Italiano and uh, uh, Man Freddy responding in English. Gotta make a deal. With El Diablo. Ooh, Pete, we're so terribly continental with some of the some of the, the language we use here. Pete, who could that devil be? Well, they kind of leave it hanging, although narratively they take us straight to that devil. The story moves to Stark Manor, where Stark himself calls for more mustard. And uh, Jason asks if there's a Stark portrait in every room. Pete, great line there. A reminder for all you... Uh, all you upperly mobile listeners out there, it's art that makes a house a home. Amongst the discussion here, interjected with humor about the mustard, and what do you know, suddenly Joseph Manfredi injects himself into the scene along with some tension, uh, looking like he's going to take Jarvis hostage, but uh, what do you know, Howard cuts it. They shared a Fitz, allegedly, together. Uh, there's laughter, there's a mea culpa, we move into an act break. 
Pete, I must confess, I'm not quite clear what a what a schwitz is. I know what a fitz is, but that's for the agent uh, Agents of Shield podcast resuming next week. Uh, I I will point out one thing though, Pete. Uh, right before right before Man Freddy shows up, Stark is peeling the skin off a slice of cucumber. Now, Pete, I'm not sure, but that just strikes me as something that's terribly British. I'd love to hear from our pal Ian in the UK, or perhaps other people from Engeland. Is this something y'all do with your pinkies up? I'm because I just thought it was just a wonderful, terribly British character moment. Act three, Pete, and Man Freddy explains it's not really Whitney. Pete, it's the junk in her veins. Hashtag metaphor. Also, there's discussion about how Whitney wants to reopen the rift. He seems confused by that metaphor. Pete, I think she means it literally, the rift to the other dimension. Right, that um, Manfredi has come to Stark Manor here to seek an old ally and try to get his Whitney, who he calls a very loving person, back. Um, and Carter cuts to brass tacks. What do you think any of us uh, would do for you, Manfredi? He wants them to save her. Wilkes, meanwhile, says that she was in control of her faculties the entire time here, that this is not the zero matter influencing her. However, I'm going to call story baloney there, Matt, because earlier we were told it was and that it was like an addiction or a drug. So which is it? It's the it's the sliding scale. I think, of uh, righterly necessity. The story moves to Manfredi Estate, so-called because to call it Manfredi Manor would be too perfect. Whitney is mumbling equations, and uh, Manfredi hooks her into helping, quote-unquote, rough up one of his tufts. I think it's a ruse. We know it's a ruse. In the hall, it's a further ruse, for Carter and company are on the prowl, Pete. Yes, and then we get the rather unusual situation where Manfredi calls uh, Whitney in to help him interrogate or beat the crap out of, or both, um, his thug, Hank. Hank, who, by the way, Pete, fun fact, did you catch the little reference to Marvel Comics that there was with Hank? No, no, I don't mean... Hank McCoy, I mean the fact that Hank is clearly a mutant because he doesn't bruise or bleed despite being hit in the face multiple times hard enough to knock him off a chair. Manfredi wants to know how long he's been working with little Tommy Fontana. Hank, of course, is confused, as are we. Um, just tell me what you want me to say, he says at one point, which I thought uh, was was the episode talking to me <laughs> um carter and susa meanwhile are in the room they are looking around susa maintains that whitney has gone crazy carter sees genius uh though she doesn't speak megalomaniac fortunately howard stark does um susa begins to take pictures uh which he says will be a uh, california souvenir for carter um, little aside there that he's glad he got to work together with her again. Um, and we go back to Hank's beatdown slash uh, ruse. Pete, 
Let's not forget, however, that in the in the grand tradition of setting up story points, story seeds, if you will, to reach fruition later in the episode, uh, Daniel changes a six to an eight. There's going to be big payoff for that in uh, in later acts, I'm quite sure. There is, however, some kind of odd comic timing. Um, the exactitude with which the their window exit has the window closed just as Whitney comes in. But uh, I guess that's how they do it in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, even though she went to use the uh, special trick she does there on Hank, I wonder how far Manfredi was prepared to take that. Um, she just misses uh, Carter and Sousa. Uh, no more interruptions, Matt. Indeed, that takes us to the act break, after which we return to SSR HQLA. Pete, three scientists are having a fight over naming rights of, uh, of, of the device. Uh, no lady scientists here. Uh, however, uh, Peggy ultimately names the thing the Rift Generator, which is probably the best name of all. And we also, for the sake of story, uh, make reference to Howard's hover car seen in the original Captain America, that it didn't work, but a second one did lay those seeds for a little later on. There is also the quick scene which Stark flirts with Rose, noting her hands. Shades of Fargo indeed. Uh, Proof that uh, Stark is just, he's a ladies man, period. Pete, if that's the only way that we were going to get Rose back, um, I'll take it, even though it's slightly creepy on Stark's end. We have, Matt, in this act a number of scenes, and and granted, we're dealing with this episode being both a finale to season two, a possible season, I'm sorry, a possible series finale as well. Oh, say it ain't so, Pete. Uh, I mean, listen, the uh, the powers that be are going to going to dictate that, although there would seem to be um, some possibility that we would continue. But we'll get to that. We're, we're checking a lot of boxes here. And all right, we're going to have we're going to pair Howard with Rose. Uh, we'll throw Samberly in there. And now we've got a Sousa Wilkes scene. He's been making the rounds on his apology tour. Wilkes is, that is. Uh, Sousa wants to know why you turned the uh, gun on him uh, and not, uh, I'm sorry, on her and not me, he asks. And uh, Wilkes explains it was deductive reasoning. We get a Carter Jarvis scene. How is Anna? She's well. The doctor says she can come home in a few days. So I, I felt we were we were checking some boxes here, necessary ones. But I I think with everything, you know, you're there's an expectancy that we're dealing with in this episode. Yes, and I think in, in the battle of how do we cover all of this in 42 minutes? Do we do it with some exposition and cover it, or do we show it? Well, there's also action set pieces to deal with. Uh, clearly, they, they chose the former. But then, Pete, some inversion. Jack comes to help. He's not a science guy. He takes dinner orders, Pete. Oh, snap! These times they are a-changing. I mean, good to to get him in there and again to flip the script in terms of what we would expect from him and what he actually does. But I almost felt we were 
denigrating the character a little too much, and especially in light of the way the episode ends. Though this scene comes off as a comeuppance, it does also have the writerly fingerprints to show that it's just setting up a season three storyline. Because after he phones in those dinner orders, uh, he finds Vernon's attache case and quickly Mm -hmm. finds both the secret file and the A-pin club that turns into a key, all happening quickly. And clearly with the lack of, of payoff in this episode, I think that we can look back and say this is clearly a setup for the future, masked as Jack has to order dinner for people. There's a certain trail of breadcrumbs, Matt, between the SOE redacted file, the arena club pin that, what do you know, uh, arguably the densest character figures out is a key. Um, We then wind up outside at um, Stark Studios, uh, where they're explaining the no-go zone is going to be uh, 20 feet around the uh, rift generator. Wait, Pete, uh, I'm unclear. What happens if you're inside the no-go zone? Oh, the, you shouldn't have gone. <laughs> oh, okay. You, you know went. Uh, they're ready. They open the rift. Whitney feels it. Indeed. It calls her, the precious does, to end the act. Act five, Matt, and Howard is hitting golf balls into the giant swirly rift. Indeed, lobbing them, you might say. But Pete, he's having some trouble with his aim. It happens. What's the solution? It's for him to use a seven iron man, says Jarvis, except for the man part. Uh, More (laughs) importantly, Peggy says she's not going to turn Jack in. And and aside, uh, she says that he's a good man whose ambition was taken advantage of by Vernon. Certainly some character soothing uh, for the sake of the audience now that we've seen him beyond the the, the the more goodly side. And uh, with that, Pete, he shares the key, affirming that he's a nice guy. You know what's not soothing is that pickled herring that Oof. Samberly had. It's coming back on him in a big way. No sign yet of Whitney, but wait. Indeed, Whitney appears directly behind Samberly because it's an ironic world that they live in. Um I was momentarily worried that he'd be killed off screen, too. Whitney wanders on up uh, while Stark and company, 30 feet away, prepare to fire the cannon. Um, And uh, she is shot upon. And then with Beetlejuice-quality animation, circa 1988, uh, the... Black matter is pulled from her, and it's not a great moment of VFX. Um, But she does get arrested and is taken suddenly off screen. Yeah, her face is fixed. Uh, Jack gives her the the quip there. She's going to look real pretty in prison. Um, Pete, I like to think that she was pretty regardless of whether it had the evil alien symbiote on her face that killed rats and people. But, you know... What's most important is that uh, that uh, with her now off screen, the, the manly men, they take time to talk as men. Who shall turn off the rift generator? Shall it be me? I've gone on the suicide mission. Shall it be you? Shall it be? And that's when they notice that 
the least among them, the tiny Tim, if you will, uh, Sousa has tied a, a, a garden hose to a lamppost and is, uh, is, is heading on over to the aforementioned danger zone to end the act. All right, Matt, let me tell you about NJ Toys and Collectibles, which has been family owned and operated with a passion for toys and collectibles for over 20 years. They carry a wide variety of items from Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, as well as many other comic heroes. They proudly ship internationally. And if you buy now and use our exclusive coupon code podcast that's p-o-d-c-a-s-t you can save 10 percent on your first order nj toys and collectibles is a your source for exceptional vintage and modern toys visit www.njtoysandcollectibles.com that's nj toys and collectibles today Good stuff indeed, and great stuff continuing in Agent Carter as Sousa is moving on over into the danger zone. P.T.'s turning the crank whilst everyone watches him, and no one helps secure the Chekhov's hose, which will uncertainly, <laughs> will, will undoubtedly rather, and certainly untie soon. Pete, everyone tries to help to hold on to Daniel, but they just can't can't hold him back. Uh, at least apparently. Um, so they decide to use Stark's hover car 0.2 or 2.0. It's a, a difficult numeric system. Um, in, in what is a decent moment of effects and certainly hearkening back to uh, to the Iron Man film where you saw the, the hover car part one, uh, this car shoots up coincidentally just Iron at Man, the right Iron Man, you're height. thinking of Captain America there, bro. Pete, it's all blurring together, such as the beauty of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but you are absolutely correct. The the first Captain America, of course. Um, but this hover car, programmed to go to just the right height and in the right direction, it goes into the ref. Uh, into A the Molotov Ooh. hover car there, okay? And straight it goes into the rift. Everything is solved, along with comedic falling of Sousa and people pulling the Sousa uh rope slash uh hose thank god matt samberly survived i worried we were going to have a second actor albeit of of decidedly lesser stature but uh cared for nonetheless unceremoniously killed off screen uh but the good news is he's not dead and he also <laughs> states unprompted that he didn't faint which was uh perhaps the most uh guffaw worthy line of the episode the story then moves back to Stark Manor. All's well, apparently. Stark is prattling on about tech advances. Back to his old normal self. Jason's going to work for him in Malibu. Wait a minute, Pete. Didn't Stark's <laughs> son have a house in Malibu? Matt, it bears mentioning that Stark says he would have liked to see the Zero Matter around. Could have launched them 100 years, always looking to the future. Um, and now that, uh, Wilkes has a new position, uh, you heard Malibu. I heard Peru. I think reference was made to how Stark had gotten inspiration in Peru and was going to employ, uh, Jason at the Malibu, uh, site, which I could only read as, you know, 
a little nod towards where where stately new Stark Manor will end up before it you know falls into the sea in spectacular fashion. But let's have some swimming and some water giggles. But Peggy, you better stay inside because bathing suits cause too much friction. Ah, Pete, I think he's talking about swimming in a very European manner. In Uh, the nude, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) The coda here between uh, Peggy and Wilkes, uh, her headed back to New York, and the really examination that under different circumstances, things might have worked out differently for them. But as she explains, um, dwelling on the past is no way to live. They did, after all, Matt, have half a dance together. They did, Pete. It's a it's a bittersweet moment, uh, facilitated by the way, with uh, uh, Stark stepping out. Uh, but um, there's uh, it, it's a bittersweet moment, certainly, where where they're discussing uh, opportunities not taken. Pete, the story continues on as Peggy is continuing on. She steps outside of uh, stately Stark Manor just as Jarvis is bringing the missus home and an earned moment, uh, a bit color by numbers, uh, but uh, paint by numbers rather, but, but, but earned nonetheless. Uh, Anna brought home safe and in one piece and uh, saying goodbye to Peggy and uh, a nice moment there from the, the, the mysterious Mrs. Jarvis, mysterious thinking back to last season. Pete, Peggy is set to take a taxi, but uh, uh, Anna won't hear a thing of it. And I have to say here, though it has Hand of the Writer in it, you know, no, no, let's let Mr. Jarvis take you. The the ascension of James Darcy this season yep. to a more central role to use his, his uh, dramatic and comedic talents more so, it, it earns this, you know, no, we need to step away and give them a final scene. Well, you have to here, Matt. Um, this is the heart of this episode um, with Anna turning it over to uh, Carter and uh, Jarvis getting to play the role he has in support throughout the, this entire series. And again, with that greater relationship between the two of them, I think best exemplified in this season as um she was there to hold his hand as his wife was uh, was in surgery um, to to go through what they're talking about, um, you know, in in that next scene. But we're not there yet, Matt. We have Whitney, who, uh, you know, is looking into a mirror, lamenting it's gone. It's all gone. Everything they worked so hard to accomplish. And suddenly it took a second to, to realize and even get the name that it was, uh, Calvin Chadwick, her deceased husband or husband who wound up inside the zero matter inside her, which is now elsewhere, neither here nor there. Uh, he says he'll fix it. Um, that they will do it together like they always do. And we flip around and the perspective changes. We notice we are in a good old-fashioned loony bin. Pete, I have the phrase loony bin in my notes too. And same reaction where it's like, wait, didn't he die? Was there something else I watched where the husband died? What happened? What What's going on? Um, so nice coda here to bring the actor back to really also – 
push the story forward in terms of her her mental break. Her face is scratched, and there was that kind of that that moment before it gets explained where it's like, oh wait a minute, but her face wasn't scratched back at the studio, and they kind of arrested her cleanly. It seemed um, the whole scene working towards one of sympathy for her um, as we get. The shot moving from we are seeing her through the window to uh, we see that she's looking at her reflection in the window, i.e. a mirror or or similar to a mirror. Um, it's a sad moment when man Freddy comes to visit her. He's told by the by the orderly that he can't give her flowers because she would just use it to claw her face open. And you have to feel bad for her here, Pete. Yeah. Um, and that she's imagining her husband is back with her. We know it's not obviously going to go well for Manfredi, but there he goes in with his typical aplomb. There's my beautiful girl. Meanwhile, Matt, there's paperwork to do. There is one final turn at SSR HQ, at least for this season. Um, Jarvis uh, is dropping Peggy off outside it. And uh, he asks if she really must leave Los Angeles. And it's one more turn for James Darcy being heartfelt, funny, wonderful, and uh, a nice moment that they don't oversell. I think they could have oversold it. It could have Mm -hmm. been, it's goodbye for now, Mr. Jarvis, and a hug or a kiss on the cheek or or things of that sort. But I like that they kind of underplay it slightly and keep it it as it has been, as, as two equals here and not overly sentimental. And uh, Jarvis's final thought is that perhaps Peggy just needs to find one compelling reason to stay. Yeah, amidst this scene of the the heartfelt um, pairing of the two of them for the final time this season and perhaps overall, while we do pepper it with some New York weather and that L.A. would have seemed to agree with Peggy despite the fact that uh, Jarvis has uh, low opinions of it. We get a couple self-referential L.A. jokes, um, reference to Peggy's entire life being back in New York, her roommate, her job, and then to close the Isodyne case. Indeed, and I, I like, too, that they use that that phrase, close the Isodyne case, because it kind of was a moment amidst the character drama amidst the interdimensional who's he what's and and romance and dead husbands and old boyfriends and this and that the other it's like oh yeah this has all been the isodyne case this entire season it was a nice a nice reminder there and uh it's also a reminder of past feelings pete because susa is playfully chewing out uh peggy over her morals uh in not letting him die the the, the moral decision was so clear and Pete, her comeback is to lay him one on the kisser, not with a fist, but with her lips. Yeah, after calling him a hypocrite and, uh, you know, being called out for her reckless behavior against her own rules, they make kissy face time to the old timey music. And let's just say, Pete, they... Uh... They get hot and heavy as they do it. That that this is no no uh, 1947 uh, little smooch here. This is uh, whew, yowza. We get the title card one last time, and then a tag scene, Matt, uh, 
of Jack Thompson packing on the phone with whom? Not quite sure. Lamenting the fact that he can't find decent pizza. Um, but suddenly there's a knock on the door of room 208. Um, we see a hand. We see a gun with a silencer. He is shot the uh, person who we only ever see by their shoes uh, on top of the hand there. Uh, rifles for the SEO file. Uh, we then see a presumably dead Chief Jack Thompson as uh, we fade to black. What lunkheads deserve some time in the joint? Ironically, Pete, that's what happens in this episode. Lunkheads ends up in the joint. This list of baddies will tell us just that. Pete, who's the list? The list, Matt, is Whitney. Yes, we we get the baddie in the joint. No, uh, no hanging Chad. Uh, just the hanging Chad Michael Murray. But no, no confusion here. It's the future of our of our baddie from this season, Whitney captured. Whitney, I like Pete punished by her own hand essentially her own hubris here we are the classic tragic uh definition of 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 a hero in the drama or not a hero exactly but the 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 main character in the drama in her drama the conclusion was brought about by her own hubris her own desire for more 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 and now she and she alone pays the price lost in her own madness I have to say that when Everett brought more to this role than I really imagined it being, um, I'm a little disappointed we never got to the full-on Madame Mask persona, but obviously with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're serving many story masters. This was our really secondary introduction to some of the concepts and ideas that we will see in the Dr. Strange movie, uh, in November. Um, and to, you know, be involved with that, this character is always going to be a footnote within this much larger, uh, TV and film universe. I rather like how they, how they used, the Madame Mask aesthetic for this. I think, uh, as we saw at New York Comic Con for the uh, for the Jessica Jones discussion, there will be times in the development of a Marvel show where you say, okay, we kind of want a character that is X. What do we have in the Marvel files that's like that that can help yep. inform it beyond just, here is best friend of Jessica Jones named Friend. Or, you know, here is female villain who's not going to be like last season's female villain but somehow different what does that mean uh we're in hollywood actress you know to then just make that character more substantial by letting it be informed by the comics but also not kind of uh pledging fealty as you do with a larger comic show like a daredevil where you need to reach a point where he's called daredevil and wears a suit you don't need to do those things with these smaller characters. So I like that it's kind of this shifting, is she going to ever have a mask? Well, no, she kind of wears a, 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 a lace, uh, a a lace veil, veil um, and that's how it's interpreted here this time. Right. And to get her come up and see her at the end, that the zero matter is 
back secure wherever it came from. We'll see it again that uh, she suffers seemingly irreparably from that experience that, uh, you know, she's she's paid the price here, Matt. She's paying the price for, as Jason said earlier, her being in control of what decisions she was making, despite the fact that she had been just like he was affected by that extra dimensional substance. However, it is also a case where the writers give we, the audience, our cake, and we can eat it too. And I mean that as a compliment. I think that we are, by and large, meant to feel sympathetic for our villain. We are meant to understand she's a villain and she's a threat to all humanity and could blow up Los Angeles and et cetera, et cetera. But it's under the, it's under the backstory shadow of... Uh, if only she had been treated better as a woman, if only her science aspirations were treated as serious, um, if only she was given these opportunities, then she might have ended up being, you know, just a, a merely brilliant scientist like a Stark or a Jason. Um, so the fact that she's able to get this kind of, you know, irreparable punishment forever and in her mind, be perfectly happy, I think is, is as I said, it's a rare opportunity where you get to have your cake and eat it too. And it, it works here. That tragic storyline that she had, and for my money, Matt, the, the best episode of this season, the one that had the um, parallel flashbacks for Peggy and for Whitney, um, and to see really the events that so crucially formed who both of them would become, we really get the payoff here. Classified Top Secret. Holy mackerel, time to take a gander at what the G-Men don't want you to know. Pete, I would like to say that we should start talking about this notion here of Jason talking about uh, the, the, the blackness being thrown out of him I wish the show went for more of the, the, the metaphor there, a bit of uh, racial introspection, something like that. Uh, instead, I think they just kind of go for the literal, unfortunately, and it's the, the black matter literally is thrown out of him and kind of that's it. Yeah, um, given what we know or what we don't know about it, it's been described as cold, as a cancer that... Uh, you know, is a disease that has addictive properties, everything like that. Um, I, I'm not sure that the metaphor ever really came together in an effective way. It is stuff that does a thing that we can't explain. And in at least one instance, have a horrible visual effect for <laughs> it. It is a pity that the last um, image that we have of the Black Matter is one so poorly rendered. Um, I don't know if it's a case of running out of time or money or both. Um, I guess that's that's the nature of broadcast TV, where you're you're stuck to day and date um, versus uh, some other options, i.e., Netflix, where until you've announced the date anyway, you can just say. Oh crud! We, let's let's push things back two more weeks, then it'll be just as we want it. But um, certainly, if nothing else, an opportunity to to look back over the racial exploration that they did do with the character of Jason Wilkes, and I think that was a valuable 
discussion and and upping the ante in terms of the show uh, talking to our time whether it's on matters of race matters of gender matters of uh, of opportunity and the like how about vernon matt um it, i found it truly shocking that uh actor of the reputation of kurt woodsmith in a scene at the end of one episode we we never get uh, a goodbye we never get a resolution okay he's you know what, what was the line there that uh, there was no sign of him that was the only thing that came up uh i guess conceivable that he might have gotten away and we talk a little bit more about that with what i'm going to bring up in a moment but really kind of stunned the way that we were left there. Pete, I don't know at what point in the shooting of this season they knew what the rating situation was. I suspect they were probably just completely done filming. Um, but I like that there is the there's the confidence that they end this season ready for a next season. And I think in that sense of hope is the answer as to... to the Kurtwood Smith question. I think that their hope is that for season three, you see what his availability is. If the best you can do is have him come in for a day um, during the course of what might be a five month shoot for 10 episodes or something like that. Uh, you have him come in for one day to, to do the facial transformation scene into the new actor playing Vernon Masters who is hideously scarred or who has used the dark matter to change his face or whatever it might be. If you can get him for a longer run, then you have him come back for a longer run, as we saw with Chad Michael Murray, with uh, with uh, uh, Dottie, even Lindsay Fonseca being being worked in in the one episode as discussed last week. So I think it's just a big intentional, you know, they know it was not resolved. It's not resolved because they have more story to tell with Vernon Masters and his key and that whole storyline. With Chief Thompson, Matt, conceivably dead at the end of this episode and maybe just the the second season, who done it? Uh, I think... I think that in the writing, it is either Vernon Masters or somebody associated with him from the Arena Club world, and it can be what it needs to be for next season. Uh, if you're if you're asking me, you know, this is the final episode for forever, but I still must pick who did it. I say Vernon Masters, who's still out still out there doing dastardly deeds. No, Dottie. No, Dottie. I thought that it was a rather it was it was a rather masculine uh, uh, form there, and that we've seen uh, Dottie uh, hide the the female physique in her in her first introduction in the first season. Um, but I'm going to say not Dottie. That said, I think if for season three you call up uh, Kurtwood Smith and he says, "Oops, sorry, I'm on a movie shoot in uh, Buenos Aires, can't do it at all." Then does it become Dottie? I think it could be Dottie. Um, I think it can be truly whatever the story needs in the future. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us uh, the Twitter. And where do we start, Pete? 
we begin on our fantastic geek Facebook page here. We have a missive from Greg Gear. Heidi Ho fully enjoyed the podcast on this morning's commute. So as I have my morning cup of Joe, here are some random thoughts. While Pete's theory about Jarvis and Burma and Doctor Strange and Mountaintops was fascinating and well thought out, I'm pretty sure Mr. Jarvis promised her a Burmese mountain dog. I love the song and dance number. Totally fit into the Hollywood in the 40s theme. And kudos to the cast for breaking out their dancing shoes. And I'm pretty sure they were doing their own singing but I can't find any way to verify that. It was also slightly reminiscent of Coulson's dream while he was unconscious, including the admonition to wake up. For those uh, would disparage the number for only being about Peggy's love triangle, well, what else do you want a splashy musical number to be about? A gamma bomb? Zero matter? And any production number which ends with Rose swinging a haymaker is all right in my book. In the comics, Jason Wilkes was a very minor character who was a scientist with invisibility and intangibility. That's pretty much where the comparison ends, though. No Zero Matter, no African-American, no Peggy Carter. That being said, he might evolve into another villain or hero. We'll find out next week, I guess. Where was Dottie in this episode? She was the only chess piece missing. Speaking of Dottie, do we know who hired her to steal the arena club pin? And for what purpose did I miss something? Until next time. Well, let's see. First of all, a very fair point that if you're going to do a song and dance number, song and dance numbers tend to be about falling in love. So I, I certainly will concede that. As to the notion of Dottie, it occurs to me, Pete, that maybe the the overarching uh, uh, arena club story going all the way back to Dottie's, uh, D- Dottie's break-in, mm-hmm. that may have been a season three plan all along. And it's entirely possible. So, I, I mean, uh, I, 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 I thank him for sending in those thoughts because it's all the more cohesive to say, we're going to give you a taste of Arena Club in Season 2. You want to find out the answer, bring us on back in some, in some format. Dottie's a fascinating character. And to come back to the dream sequence and, you know, they, they pop her in there. Um, yeah, I concede the point as well that if you're going to have that type of sequence, that it, it makes the most sense to have it be about love. I think the outcry, though, was that we're distilling Peggy to just that when we all know that this character that we love first seen in the original captain america in 2011 is so much more than who she's attached with she has been the woman on her own not miss almost captain america but her own agent her own person, a survivor. And I, I think when you belittling's not the right word, but I, I, I think when you I'll go back to the word I used before, distill her to who's it gonna be? 
it it does a disservice to that character. It was a cute little scene. I think they oversold how important that might be to the episode. And obviously you're beginning the episode with that. It's essentially a hallucination. Um, but cute that we can get it in. Great that we can see other talents and, and see these characters in a different light. Love the Rose uh, punch at the end. And, you know, I... I have to believe if our production team could do that over again, they might consider it a little differently. And I think it's fair to point out too, the production team made the show, ABC publicity sold the show, yes. you know, sold the show to us with commercials. So if they were overhyping, if there was overhyping of the musical number, not to me because I run hashtag spoiler free and oh, it was all pure. over Twitter. It was all over Facebook. And listen, the, the horse was well out of the barn. The, the ratings have not been anywhere near what they were uh, last season. So any little edge that you can get in there, you can't fault them for doing that. Indeed. Indeed, Pete. Um, Back to this episode, a tweet from Mike D, that's uh, DavisMF5150 on Twitter. He said, I think it was Michael Carter who shot Thompson and took back and took his file back. Your thoughts, Pete? Ooh, I had not considered that. And, and that's interesting that we could have a third season potentially where, you know, Peggy learns that her brother did not die, uh, that she got involved in this, uh, for essentially the wrong reasons that would get her to question what she does sign me up. Also a tweet from, uh, Lisa Sue 12 on Twitter. Ugh, that ending. Now we have to get a season three hashtag renew agent Carter, which, um, is echoed by, uh, Mary Kirk. That's geek Kirk on Twitter <coughs> who says that the finale wasn't perfect but I did enjoy it and only wish I was getting more hashtag agent Carter, hashtag renew agent Carter. And uh, certainly a sentiment shared by a lot of people um, who you kind of, you have to, you have to know that this could be it. Um, and, and I think Pete, maybe we'll reserve our, we'll, we'll reserve concerns for the future for uh, for a season two wrap up, but um, certainly, uh, certainly discussion for a later time. Well, Matt, I think we want to really extend a thank you to our audience. Ten episodes here, uh, our listeners, very faithful in terms of uh, being there week to week, uh, comments, questions, interaction, uh, all down the line. Yeah, it's been it's been great fun doing season two of Agent Carter, uh, and part of what makes what makes a podcast a podcast is it really is a dialogue with the audience and uh, we might talk into the microphones, uh, but it's great to have gotten feedback from people uh, all along and really, uh, really a rewarding experience for this, uh, the second go round of Agent Carter. Do want to mention that if you'd like to help the podcast out, uh, here we are at the end of the season, but to help out the podcast as it, uh, as it has been and as our future podcast ventures move forward. We've made an update to our Patreon page, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash fantastic geek. 
and uh, some goodies there if you want to be a patron of Fantastic Geek and kind of help out with some of the costs behind the scenes that make this uh, make this thing go boom. We have rewards for just about every level that you could possibly feel comfortable giving at, from a dollar to a hundred dollars, and whether you give for one month. Whether you give, you know, we've had people who have supported us for more than a year at this point. That's, you know, nothing means more to us. We joke about it, but we say it all the time. We have the best listeners and fans in the podcast game. And we are so grateful and thankful for you. And, uh, you know, look to be returning to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. next week. Daredevil in three weeks. Luke Cage when that's announced, Jessica Jones when that returns, possibly the return of Agent Carter. We'll keep our fingers crossed and keep that hashtag going. But thank you for all of your help and your interaction and your assistance with Patreon. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you to those uh, to those patrons. And Pete, thank you not just for being a good partner on the podcast, but for practically being a person of glitterati fame. How can people be in touch with you, Seamless Transition? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 7,123 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on the Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH in plenty of ways. Send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the .com, or tweet us your telegraphs on the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. www.facebook forward slash fantastic geek with ph all one word. Get on that .com there and like us today. Don't forget that Fantastic Geek is the way to go. With that, I'll say goodbye, good night, good luck to one and all. Pete, with what wacky words will you close this season? You kids are so cute, I bet you even crammed for your season finals and everything. Yeah.